All right. Well, it's been a little while since we've been together on Wednesday night for studying Kings. The last time we got together, it was a short one on a uh, Abijam or Abija, depending upon which book you looked in. But I warned you that this one would be a little bit longer. So Asa's got a lot more material. We've got three chapters in Chronicles we're going to get through and a little bit here in Kings that we'll be looking at and we'll take care of uh, King Asa here. <clears throat> but let's read the part of Kings here since that's our main study. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah and he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Maka the granddaughter of Abishalom. Now remember, we talked about her before. She was mentioned as the mother of the previous king, Abijah, and she's mentioned again. Kind of interesting that we go right to the grandmother and skip past the mom. But anyway, that's what we did. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. Nice to hear that for a change. He banished the the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his father fathers had made. And he removed Makath, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. So remember she was, um, we went over some of her, her history and things like that before, but apparently she had gotten into making this image. Whether she did it during Asa's life or she did it in the one before, uh, Abijah, and he didn't really care about it. Anyway, she's mentioned and he uh, uh, took care of that situation. So he removed her from being queen mother. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron, by the high places. But I'm sorry, but the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. Now last year we looked at that part in particular with King Asa. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. You can go back to the Sunday morning series we did on the heart. I forget what it was all called. But um, um, anyway, if you want the date of that, I can pull that up for you. But it says his heart was loyal all his days, even though we saw his last two years weren't so good. He also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. So despite his father not being all that good, he had some good things to him, he still dedicated some things to the, to the Lord. Now there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel. What is it with these two people, these two nations, of constantly naming the kings similar names? You know, Rehoboam, Jeroboam. I mean, that's just <laughs> Asa and Basha. I mean, did they plan this? It just, it just seems really odd. And Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house and delivered them into the hands of the servants. King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabrimon, the son of Hazion, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, and there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. He attacked Ejon, Dan, Abel, Beth-Makkah, and Chenaroth, with all the land of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and remained in Terzah. Then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all of Judah. None was exempted and they took away the stones and timber of Ramah which Basha had used for building. And with them King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mitzpah. The rest of all the acts of Asa, 
all his might, all that he did, the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet, so as to rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His father, then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. Just like we saw last time, you just read over this part here and you really don't understand why he's uh, good, bad, or, or whatever. Chronicles is the one that gives us the details, so that's why we're heading back on over there to get the, the rest of the details from that. So turn over, if you would, to the Second Chronicles, chapter 14. Second Chronicles chapter 14. So Abijah rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa his son reigned in his place. In his days the land was quiet for ten years. So they had no war and no, no, nothing to do for ten years. Here's what they did. Asa did what was good in the right of the eyes of the, of the Lord his God and he removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments. He also removed the high places and the incense altars in all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom, kingdom was quiet under him. And he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them, towers and gates and bars, while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. They have 10 years of peace. Here's what he does with it. First off, the first thing that it mentions that he does is he takes, care, he takes out all of the idolat idolatrous worship. He gets the people to worship God. He gets rid of the high places or, or some of the high places and get rid of all of them. And then he turns to the cities and he said, we have some cities that we've built. We haven't put walls around them yet. Let's put some walls around some of those cities. Let's fortify some places. We don't have war right now. Let's get ready for when war comes. They took 10 years of peace and used it to prepare for what might come. That is something that most Christians don't do. How many times do you hear Christians, and their, their health is fine, their finances are fine, everything is fine, and what are they doing? Nothing. They're just expecting it's just going to always be that way. They don't build up their faith. They don't get themselves ready. And then all of a sudden, they get this terrible report from the doctor. They get a terrible report from the bank. Something goes wrong at their em employer. And they're suddenly thrust into a bad situation. And what do they have to, to rely on? Nothing. We've said it to you before. It was said to me before. The time to study about healing is when you're well. The time to study about finances is when you've got money. <laughs> Don't wait until it's an emergency. Because your attitude towards that study is different. It's now a desperate instead of a fortifying. They're not desperate. They're just fortifying things. They're just making things stronger. They got all. They got time. No one's pressing in. No one's coming after them. They can do it right. They can get it, get it uh, taken care of. That's when we ought to be preparing. That's when we ought to be getting ready. The Lord will witness to us when we have times of peace. Get yourselves ready. This is around the corner. God knows there was a battle waiting for them around the corner. A very big battle. One that was bigger than them. He was doing things to help them to get ready for it. One of which was to get themselves right with God. And they spent time doing that. They didn't just focus on the army. They didn't just focus on the fortified cities. They focused on all these things. Very good thing that he had done. But I want to turn your attention back here to something. In verse 2, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. 
this jumps out particularly to me because I was listening. John Bevere was making a, a teaching. And if you want to get more into this, he has a brand new book coming out. This is a little excerpt from it. You won't be able to buy it yet. But you will be able to buy it soon. I think uh, it's called Good or God or something along those, those kind of lines. It's something like that. Fantastic stuff already. I've, I've already heard some of the stuff in there because, you know, I know John. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know him at all. So. <laughs> I don't know him at all. But, um, but he, he had this, this wonderful statement. He went back into the Garden of Eden and he said, the thing that attracted Adam and Eve to the tree was the good in it. And I thought, wow, that was good. <laughs> that was good. What did Eve see when she saw that it was good for eating? That it was good to make one wise? She saw the good. That the enemy does not lure us in with evil. He lures us in with good. It is the good that attracted her to what was evil. He had a whole lot more to, to say about that and Man, it was good. <laughs> I was chewing up for a little while. I said, Man, this is this is some good stuff. But anyway, uh, he did what was right and good in the eyes of the Lord. Too many times we are doing what is good in our eyes, or we look at the good that comes from something and determine then it must be good. Just because something turns out to be good, just because something has some good results, does not mean that. Um, that's good. We'll give you a couple of examples. How many know about the, this? How many know about missionary dating? We've all talked about missionary dating. We've taught the kids about missionary dating. We've taught everybody we could about missionary dating. But what is it that pulls people into missionary dating? The good. Well, they make me feel good. They make me feel better about myself. I think I'm doing them some good. Right? It's the good that is the problem. <laughs> Isn't it the way it is? It's the good that is the problem. And we have, a, we have a hard time with that. Why is it that sometimes we get caught up in doing certain things for certain people? Well, I'm trying to help them. Well, they need, they need this. What, did God say to do it? What is good in the eyes of God? He did what was good in the eyes of God. Most Christians, we're giving you a little preview here on what we're getting into on Sunday, because you guys come out on Wednesday. Don't tell anybody else. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, it said this about the land. It said, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Why? There was a reason specifically given in the book of Judges it said, because there was no king in the land. The reason that most Christians do what is good in their own eyes is because they have no king. They say they do. They think they do. But the reason they do what is good in their own eyes is because they have no king. Who is our king? He is our king. We do what is right in his eyes, whether we like it or not. I love uh, listening to Brother Brother Keith, and he talks about people in the church who will come up and say, I think you ought to do it this way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, 
God didn't tell him to, to do it that way. He didn't do it that way. How come you didn't do it this way? I wanted you to do it this way. I love his response to that. He says, I don't do what I want to do. Why would I do what you want to do? <laughs> that is such a great response. We're here to do what the Father says to do. What God says to do. And he always follows it up with this. I love this. It's, it's one of those things, you know, you just kind of write it in your heart, make sure you, you keep it going that way. He, uh, oh, I just slipped out of my head again. Um, I don't do what I want to do. Why would I do what you want me to do? He says, you don't need a reason to do something. I'm sorry, you don't need a reason not to do something. You need a leading to do it. I thought, well, that's a good, good statement. We're a lot of times looking for reasons. We need to be looking for leadings. What is God leading you to do? Is he king in your life? But you see, we have that flesh thing that comes up. And it disguises itself as something religious, as something good. And then we begin to look at the things that we're doing and we're looking at the good that we're doing. And we're missing, what did God say? Now this story is going to drive that point home. And what, uh, what happens with, with Asa here? Where did we leave off at? Verse 7, Therefore he said to Judah, Thank you, Let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers, gates, bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Then Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Marisha. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of uh, Zaphath. That's a fun name right there. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So he's had ten years to get ready. He didn't necessarily know that this was coming up, but he has ten years to get ready. We count up his, his folks, and we find out he's got a little over half a million. We count up the other side. They got a million. They got a million plus. That's outnumbered two to one. All right. God gave us time. We prospered. We did good. We, we prepared. This is what we got. <laughs> and you can deliver, whether by many or people who have no power. What a great thing to do. You can tell he built himself up. Most people, you know, get in a situation like this, you're crying. Oh, God. <laughs> Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. Well, I'll tell you, I wish we would get hold of that. In your name I go against what? What is it you're up against? You're going up against it in his name. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar, Gerar so that Ethiopians were overthrown and they could not recover for they were broken before the Lord and his army. And they carried away very much spoil 
Then they defeated all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for there was exceedingly much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock, enclosures, and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. So they face a situation that could wipe them out, and they come out with abundance. See, that's the, that's the attitude of going down into the pit. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about on Sunday. Benaiah goes down into the pit to kill a lion instead of falling into the pit or stumbling into the pit or somehow ending up in the pit and being afraid of the lion. He went down in there. This is what they did. They went after it. And what should have been a situation to destroy turned out to be a situation they got blessed even more. Mm-hmm. They took all kinds of abundant stuff home. Mm-hmm. We see that Asa trusted what God said. Amen. I'll tell you, that's what you've got to do. Mm-hmm. Now, he's going to have a prophet come out to him. Second Chronicles 15.1 Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Be- Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. Three things he says Israel has been without. I summarize it this way. We give it to you this way once before. But they, had, they didn't have the object of worship. They didn't have the way of worship. And they didn't have the lifestyle of a worshiper. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, the object of worship. Without a teaching priest, the way of worship. And without, a, and without law, the lifestyle of a worshiper. Three things it said that it needed. First off, they didn't have, they were without the true God. They had substitutes they put in their place. But they were without the true God. If you do not have one and only God, you do not have the true God. They had multiple gods. They worshiped God on a part-time basis. They also worshiped in some other things. And God says, no, they were without the true God. Even though previous guy had dedicated stuff to the temple, even though we found him in the temple doing stuff, don't matter. They were without the true God. Without a teaching priest. They had priests who would go through the ordinance of worship, who would go through the ordinance of the sacrifice. But they did not teach them the way of the Word. And without law. Well, if you're not going to be taught what the Bible is saying, you're not going to have the law of God guiding you. And so that's what they, they didn't have. They were without a teaching priest. Not the teaching priest. A teaching priest. If one goes down, there's another one right behind. Right? We've got to make sure that first off, we have the object of our worship. That we have folks around that, that teach us. And that we take that and break it, make it a law in our life so that we become, where we have that lifestyle of a worshiper. These are the things that we need to have. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you be strong. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak. Who does it sound like it's up to? It sounds like it's up to Asa. It sounds like it's up to the children of Israel. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded. 
If we were confident that what we were doing was going to be rewarded, it'd be a lot harder for us to get discouraged. Isn't that that why we get discouraged? We think it's not going to be rewarded. Somehow, we're not going to get the thing that we want, the thing that we need. So those three things were said. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. So he, he had taken some places in Ephraim which was not part of the southern tribes. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon for they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. We had people that had come over before under Rehoboam. And they saw that Jeroboam was not going to follow God. They came. Now more are coming. Hey, Asa really means business. He is really going after God. Let's go down there. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year, the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil that they had brought. Of course, that's worse in comparison to Solomon, but (laughs) Solomon was a little extravagant there and probably did a little more than was necessary. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Now that goes a little bit too far. (laughs) That's not what we're supposed to do. God wants people to make a choice, not worship God or die. That's that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We We don't need to go out there and convert sinners and tell them either you worship God or we're going to kill you now. That's not God. This is what they did. But God does not tell us to follow after that. There are some times that men, in their zeal for God, got a little too carried away. This is one of those times. So, um, what was that, verse 13? So, whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. And they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath. For they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them and the Lord gave them rest all around. And he removed Maka, the mother of Asa, the king, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Now the high places are just places where they worshipped God without going all the way up to Jerusalem. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and he himself had dedicated silver and gold and utensils and there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. No more war than the one we just covered. So we waited. So he reigned 41 years, 35th year. So he 10 years, we have a war. 35th year, he's going to have another war. That's even more time with no wars before Now, it does say that there was war between him and Basha all his days. Could have been just some more tension, some raids, things like that. But as far as an all-out war, we haven't seen that just yet. That is going to be coming. Chapter 16. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to, the king, to, to Asa, king of Judah. And then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. 
Here, I have sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad hated King Asa and sent the, the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Dijon, Dan, abel Ma'am, and all the strong cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah which Basha had used for building. And with them he built Geba and Mitzpah. Now Ramah in Hebrew means to be high. It was named for several cities that had, uh, were situated in high elevations. It was located, this particular one was located on the eastern side of the central Benjamin Plain. It was opposite Gibeon. It was about halfway between Bethel and Jerusalem. Jerusalem, of course, is where the center of worship for Jehovah. Bethel was one of the places of the center of worship for the golden calves. So it was about halfway in between there, about a six miles distance. So Bethel and Jerusalem were not that far apart. Remember, he set up Bethel, so they went to go all the way to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Ramah was situated at the junction of two main travel routes, the north-south Patriots Highway and the Ridge Road connecting Shechem to Hebron and the east-west route that linked the Transjordanian Highway and the International Coastal Highway. So it was kind of a big area. If you can control that particular area, you can control a lot of the travel. It's not like they had a whole mess of roads. They had some roads, and if you control where those roads were, you can control uh, a, a lot that, that happened. And so Asa didn't like this. If he controls that, then he can't go east, west, north, and south like, as freely as he would like to be able to. And so it, it caused him some concern. There's some uh, historical significance, biblical significance in these, uh, in these things. I'll read this from the historians as I copied it. In the early years of the divided monarchy, Basha, the king of Israel, established a stronghold to Ramah to prevent travelers from entering or leaving the kingdom of Judah. This siege caused distress to Asa, king, uh, Judah's king. He responded by hiring the Syrians to attack Basha. Basha abandoned the fortress of Ramah to defend the Syrian attack, which ended the conflict for Asa. So Asa took advantage of Basha's fortifications at Ramah, tearing down the defense and using the materials to build Geba and Mitzpah. These events created a new boundary between Judah and Israel, one that divided the original Benjamin territory in half. Although the results were positive for Asa, the Lord was not pleased that he relied on the evil king of Aram for his deliverance instead of turning to him. As a result of Asa's foolishness, God promised that Judah would war with Syria in the future. So this was not a good thing as far as God was concerned. Ramah is the birthplace and home of Samuel, who was the last judge of Israel. The elders of Israel came to Ramah to demand that Samuel appoint a king over and rule over them on a, on a uh, circuit that uh, he had gone on to find the lost donkeys. Saul came to Ramah, and that's where Samuel secretly anointed him. So a number of uh, things happened there. Saul attempted to kill David, and David fled to Ramah. Uh, where I came from, a lot of folks like to replace, uh, call this Ramah because it's sim- spelled similar, but it's not. It's Ramah. I think everybody else knew that too, but you know, there was a school of the prophets there, things like that that, that made, made it for a fun, fun deal to do. Anyway, I put this in your outline for you. A good ending should mean a good solution was followed, right? <laughs> a good ending should mean that a good solution was, uh, was followed. A lot of times we look at how things turn out and determine that the way must have been good. Just because it turned out good doesn't mean 
that was right. You have to make sure that you follow after what God says. Because sometimes you follow after what God says and you come into opposition. You come into some trouble. When Paul followed where God said to go to take the gospel, he went in there and it wasn't so good. It was tough. They got beaten up. They had riots. It didn't, it didn't go so well. But that's where God told them to go. Just because God tells you to go someplace does not mean it's going to be easy. And just because it was easy doesn't mean you're in the right spot. You've got to listen to what God says to do. Verse 7. At that time, Hananiah the seer came to ask the king of Judah and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and Lubim not a huge army with many, very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. For he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Now, just because you don't like the message doesn't mean you lock the messenger up. It's what we see all the time today. You know, people don't like the message that the Bible has to say, so we're going to intimidate with fear all the people who would preach the message of the Bible. So if you say anything against homosexuality, if you say anything against uh, gays and lesbians, if you say anything about uh, gay marriage, if you say anything about adultery, if you say anything about whatever it might be that the Bible speaks out against, well, you're just a hater. And they will try and come after you to silence you. They cannot attack the message. So they have to, to attack you. They do the same thing with global warming. I heard that now the Pope even put out some kind of a paper. They somehow secretly got leaked out there that he's um, basically saying anybody who doesn't believe in global warming is uh, doomed to hell or something like that. Which is, <laughs> which is ridiculous. There has been no measured global warming for the last 17 years. By their own records. No global warming for 17 years. Yet how many times... Every time there's a hurricane, every time there's a drought, every time there's a flood, what is blamed? Yep, it constantly is. That's what, and if you don't believe in it, if you want to stand up against it, what, what are you told? How many times have we heard the president himself get up and blast people who are, he calls them deniers. A lot of people call them deniers. He's just tuning in with, with that uh, lingo. It's all about putting pressure on people to stay silent. And it's not the first time it's happened in history. We had uh, some very um, uh, religious people, right, very godly people, who in the area of science, who were threatened with, the, with death if they would not be quiet. Newton was one of them. He had a recount. They made him recount a lot. Galileo. These are people who, who, whose uh, views of science now we accept readily, but at the time, <laughs> the church didn't like them. Then they, they didn't want to know that the earth was flat or that it wasn't flat. They didn't want to talk about the earth being round. They didn't want to talk about all these, these uh, uh, theories that they had. They didn't like it. I've said it to you many times before. Science is not a consensus. Neither is the Bible. It does not matter that most people think the Bible says this. <laughs> what matters is what God says it is. It doesn't matter what people think is right. What matters is 
what God says is right. And see, we can, I, we're all on, the, on a good side on this. We, if you don't want to believe it, don't believe it. Fine. We don't have to push you into believing it. Just understand, you will bear the consequences. <laughs> That's it. If you don't believe there is a God like I believe, you won't have any consequences if you're right. If it's like I say, you're going to have some consequences. And we would try and spare you from that because we believe that it's there. But if you don't believe that it's there, you might get all concerned. How do you hate something that you consider to be dead? What was that movie that we, we saw, God's Not Dead? Isn't that the theme of that whole thing? How can you hate someone if you don't believe that they're real? Makes sense to me. Yeah. Well, he says this. Be, he starts off in this word of prophecy in verse 7. Because you have relied on the king of Syria. Because you have. I put this in your outline for you. More things have begun with us than we know. More things have begun with us than we know. We've started it. <laughs> because you have. God didn't start that. Asa started it. Because you have relied on the king of Syria. This is what will come down the pipe now. Because you have done that. God didn't want you to do it. So often, folks, we are blaming God. Why did God let this happen to me? Why did God bring this on me? Why is this going on? And we don't realize it has probably begun with us. Now, God had a purpose. He wanted them to, to deal with the king of Syria, not get in a treaty with him. And now they can't do that. That purpose is gone. Put this in your outline for you. Your purposes were not realized. Because you have done this, there are purposes that God had for King Asa that he would not now realize. That he would not now walk in. Simply because he didn't obey. Now in this word, he's reminded of the battle with the Ethiopians. How often we forget what God has done. How often we forget history. We've heard it said over and over. If we don't learn the lessons of history, we are doomed to repeat them. And we've seen that happen in countless that we've seen it in the Bible where Israel failed to learn their history and repeated it Israel failed to learn the prophecies of what was going to happen in their future and they helped fulfill it because they didn't read it they didn't know what was going on and we've done many of the same things it reminds them the Ethiopians were a much greater multitude than what you faced here but you relied on me and I brought you through and you came out with abundance now they're not going to come out with abundance. And they'll lose the purpose that God has for them. Verse 11. Note that the acts of Asa first and last are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Well, we just found more written in here in the Chronicles than in the kings. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. And his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. 35th year is when he faces this battle. 39th year is when he had the disease in his feet. That's four years uh, apart about. He became diseased in his feet, became severe, yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord but the physicians. Hmm. He sought the Lord before. He started a new pattern. 
So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. Whether it was disease in his feet had something to do with that, don't know, but I guess you would suspect so since it's mentioned. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients prepared in a mixture of ointments. So God sent the prophet to correct him. David had a prophet sent to correct him. And what did David do? He repented. And some of the problems that were said to come, come about, alright, this isn't going to happen this way. He repented. But Asa, he didn't repent. In fact, he started beating up on the people, started beating up on the messenger that sent it, the message to him. He didn't sit there and say, you know what, I missed it. It's sometimes the hardest thing for us to do, folks, is to sit back and say, I did not do what I was supposed to do. That's why these things are going on. We need to realize our role. Asa is the king. He is head over this thing. He is supposed to set the direction. And he didn't set the direction. He set a wrong direction. And he went after this thing. Now we look at it, and he set this this treaty. I mean, the folks today, the peace-loving people today, so they say, no, they love no war. They like the fact, you know, we're getting out of war and we shouldn't go into wars and all these sort of things. Here is Asa. He had a battle in front of him. He found a peaceful solution in which no people had to die. No horses had to die. <laughs> nothing. There was no battle. We just uh, spent some money. That's all we did. We just spent some money. We got this, uh, this treaty going on. And out of that money, we got all this building supplies. So, you know, it wasn't, we didn't really have to lose all that money that we, we sent because we got all this other stuff and we were able to build and fortify these things. And we look at the good. Well, look at the good that came out. No one had to die. We didn't have to go to war. And God said, you relied on the wrong source. See, sometimes folks who as Christians will do the same thing. We look at the end result and we say, but look at how it turned out out God doesn't care how it turned out God cares about how you got there he cares a whole lot about how you got there did you compromise to get there did you do something you weren't supposed to do did you stop relying on me becomes diseased in the 39th year and the 41st year two years later he dies two years probably he had that disease and he does not seek after God keeps seeking the physicians it's not working he still doesn't seek after God. He keeps going in the wrong direction. It's not what he's supposed to do. In 1 Peter 5, verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion. Who are we really submitted to? Is Jesus really our king? Is he really our king? Or do we do things that we want to do? Do we do things that we like to do? Most of our problems, most of the problems in the Christian church is because we have a submission problem. It's amazing how many of our problems are as a result of who we are or are not submitted to. It is astounding. I talked to you about one situation some time ago. 
that uh, someone who uh, was unsubmitted in some of the issues that were going on in their life, some of the things that that were happening. I looked at that and said, thank God. Thank thank the Lord. You folks are not that way. That's what I actually said. I said, thank the Lord. (laughs) We We don't see that there. But you know what? No matter how submitted we are, we can become more submitted. Because there's always some part of ourselves that rises up and we will do it instead of what God said. And we need to make sure we, we fix that. We need to make sure we take care of that. Sunday mornings we're going to be taking a look at this topic of submission. Because as we are submitted, so are we in authority. It's, it's, it's imperative. There was a, I was listening to somebody who was telling a story, brother, one of Brother Hagin's stories. I'll tell it on Sunday. I think I'll tell, I'll tell it one of these Sundays. I, I heard that. Oh, yeah, I remember that story. I love that story. But it floors me of what God said. Because what God says to him is there are some situations that prayer will not work. Brother Hagin got that directly from the master himself. And when you hear it, hear the whole thing, hear the whole story, you know exactly, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's exactly right. That's exactly what's going on. So we'll, we'll see that. But see, it's, we have submission issues. If we were 100% submitted to God, most of the problems we have in our life would not be there. Most of the problems we have with other people would not be there if we were 100% submitted to God. The problem comes in is that most times we are 80%, 85%. Maybe even 90%. And it's just when we get into those other areas, it's when we come into a problem. And that's what we need to eliminate. The more that we can eliminate that, the easier our life is going to be. I want to be able to say that I can rank up there with guys like Paul. We know Jesus. Jesus was 100%. 100% submitted. I think Paul was, was up there too. I can't find anything that Paul did that was of Paul from all the writings of people that, that they did about him. I can't find that about Daniel either. But there are people in the Word of God. Hey, but Abraham, was Abraham 100% submitted? No. Why, why did he get into trouble? When he stepped out of what God said to do and he did what Abraham thought was best to do or what Sarah, Sarah thought, best, thought to do, best to do, then they got problems. And, and Adam, what, why did Adam come into a problem? <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. It's, uh, and, and Moses, the one time in the last 40 years that we find that he has a problem is when? <laughs> Most of our problems come out of the area of a lack of submission. And there's reasons for it. There's reasons why we can get over it. There's, there's things in the Word of God that will help us to get past that last bit of percentage to become 100% totally submitted. Because how many of y'all know the problems we have being 100% totally submitted to God is when our flesh gets stirred up. You know, we are 100% submitted to our diet <laughs> until I smell that food. <laughs> right? We are. As long as I'm full, I am 100% submitted to my diet. Right? Yeah. That's, that's what comes in. We need to, to work on it 
Take care of those times. Take care of those times we're in good shape. We can do the same thing with the things of God. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. We want to be completely and totally submitted to you. That we don't rely on the kings of Syria in our life. We don't rely on treaties. But we can walk into a situation and rely on you. And just as Asa, in his tenth year, totally relied on you, and you commended him for it, a few decades later, he had gotten weak, and he gave in. Just because we are aging in our Christian walk does not mean we're getting stronger. But we can. I thank you for the help that you give us in these things. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.